Grab your Bibles, turn to Ephesians, and before we jump into there, I was, um, as we were singing, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, some of you have heard me share this quote, this saying before, and this will definitely be a paraphrase, but Martin Luther once said something to this effect, that uh, you look at the oceans of God's mercies. Now, how many of you have ever uh, spilt something in your home and it made a huge mess. Maybe like your kids have done red cool. Thank you for that hand. We have one. But red Kool-Aid, you know, grape juice. And, and it causes quite a panic when it hits the white carpet, doesn't it? We sit there and go, oh, what a mess. Well, what if we took that same, uh, well, actually you guys have heard this story before, the red fruit punch concentrate in the brand new suburban on a youth trip where we uh, ruined someone's brand new car. Uh, That was rough, and uh, we could not get that red dye out of that car, uh, no matter how hard we tried to scrub it, and and we ended up having to just pull pull the upholstery out. It was a claim insurance thing, and it was a mess. But if we had taken that same red dye, that fruit punch concentrate, full of sugar, full of a mess, and we poured it into the ocean, how long would it stay in the ocean? How long would we notice it in the Pacific? It would get sucked up in a minute, right? It's the same with God's mercies. God's ocean of mercy. All our mess, all our hurts, all our failings, all our sin is swallowed up in the deep, deep love of Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed for us. Isn't that awesome? What we see so huge, God says, I've taken care of it. I sent my son. He died for you. So what a, what a blessed time this morning. That was for free, by the way, as I like to say. has absolutely nothing in my notes uh, that way. Let's, let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we've had. Even as we awoke this morning, seeing the sun, seeing a renewal, seeing a new day, Father, we know that we are new in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the time for us to sing together, to proclaim to each other the gospel, to proclaim your love, to proclaim your greatness, to proclaim that we are forgiven because of Jesus Christ and his blood has washed us from all sins. Thank you for our salvation and our grace that you so mercifully gave to us when we were vile and undeserving of it. Thank you for your love. Lord, this morning as we look into your word, as we, as we dive in, Father, we would just pray, Father, that our hearts would be ready to receive what your word says. Father, I thank you that you have not left us on this earth without answers. You have not left us without the ability through your Holy Spirit to know what you ask of us and what you have done for us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through the scriptures. And so, Father, for that reason this morning, may they be handled accurately and properly. And Father, may they be proclaimed boldly. And Father, may they be received with gracious happiness because of all you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so now uh, I'm going to just preface this right from the start. I am a youth pastor. That's how I think oftentimes. And so right from the start, I'm kind of, a lot of my illustrations this morning kind of have a little bit of immaturity to them. Um, (laughs) Because that's kind of who I am, and um, I apologize ahead of time, but that's how my mind, how my mind thinks. But how many of you remember since that, how many of you remember high school? Now, with high school, we might have fond memories, we might have not so fond memories, 
But when you, uh, when you step into the high school environment, when you walk on a campus, it really is a study of, of human nature, isn't it? Back in the 80s when I was in high school, yes, I am old. By the way, do you know like on the oldie stations now, it's 80s music? Sorry, that was for free too. I got to stick with it. 50s is oldies. All right. But anyways, back in the 80s, you could walk on a campus and pretty soon if you wanted to just sit there and look at people, you would start to identify people, wouldn't you? You would see the athletes in one corner. You would see those who study harder in another area. The lunch bell would ring, right? And everybody would go off to their little place, their little haven, where they would go to eat lunch in the most comfort of their subculture. Is that, was my school any different than yours? And so you would see athletes, cheerleaders, musicians, the preppies. We had punk rock kind of was starting, you know, people who like, I don't know what they even call them, but you know, would like paint the face white and wear all black, whatever that culture would be. They hung out together. Um, Karen school even had a smoking section. Can you believe that? Uh, blows my mind. It's not even, we'll just stop there. Thank you, public education. Surfers and skaters. But everyone would go to their own group, and you could look at someone and you would start to identify who they were by how they dressed or how they acted. You would know what part of the order of school life they belonged in. And you know, everyone is at some time in their life going to be identified by, the, by their looks and their actions. I'll give you a different example. Within our church, did you know today, and on most Sundays, we have multiple individuals who are in law enforcement. We have quite a few. We have CHP officers, police officers, sheriffs, police chiefs, actives and, active and retired. We have fish and game wardens. We have park rangers. <clears throat> Many of you served us faithfully in the United States Armed Forces. We have a retired airline pilot from American Airlines. And as they sit here today, and you walked in new today, would you be able to identify them? No. There's nothing today that would, that would show their occupation. You would not know what they did or what they are currently doing. But what if we were to sit in the airport? Would we be able to identify a pilot or a flight attendant? Yes, why? Uniform. Uniform. They're dressed differently than everyone else there. They don't have to wait in the two-hour line to get to the gate. That's a big identifier. When the lights flash behind you on 101 after you spent a few miles above the law, driving the, above the speed limit, you don't say, hey, I wonder if that's a CHP officer. When the sirens roll down your block, you see smoke in the field behind your house. Is it difficult to know that that's the fire department on the scene? We identify our military by their uniforms, police by the badge and the uniform. There's no mistaking a Canadian Mountie, is there? Boots and a hat. Sharp red jacket. The uniform informs us of the identity. Well, what about us? What about Christians? In our passage today, we're going to see this. By the grace of God, believers are called to live as new people who have a new identity in Jesus Christ. 
We are called to live a life different from the world and opposite of our pre-Christian past. We have a simple outline today. I want to give it to you ahead of time and then we'll jump, uh, we'll read our text and then jump into the study. And here's our main point. We have a new identity in Jesus Christ. And we'll see what that new identity looks like. How do we know this? First, we don't live like a non-Christian. And then second, we live like a new creation. Simply, that's what we'll be looking at today. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 and let's read verses 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We've already mentioned police officers, soldiers, pilots. I think of doctors also. Think about, and, and some of you who are, we have, like again, I thank you, all of you. There's quite a few who have served and do serve as uh, public safety officers for us. Think of the day you first put on the uniform. The very first time. Or maybe you went through boot camp. And when you went through and you graduated and officially were sworn in as a Marine or a Navy or Army, or Air Force. When someone puts on a uniform for the first time ever, what happens? Well, they take on the duties that correspond to the uniform. Police officers and firefighters are armed forces. They protect us. They serve us. The badge and the uniform bring a duty that they're sworn to uphold. When we are called in salvation by the grace of God, we too, we take on a new set of clothes. We take on a new identity. We are now clothed in Jesus Christ. Christ is now in us and with us and a part of us. Just as the hymn says that we sing, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. We are dressed in Christ. We are clothed in him. And he is our new identity. And this brings to us a duty and a responsibility to live a life that is in step and consistent with our new identity. Verse 24 hits this, and we'll get there eventually. But put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we put off the old, corrupt, the corrupt garment of the old self, and we put on the new. And so today we're looking at who we are. Next week we will see the practical application, how we live as ones who are new in Christ. Today we are seeing Paul use another formerly but now contrast. Just like we saw in chapter 2, 1 through 10. Remember chapter 2, if you want to just turn a page over, if you have to. Remember chapter 2, uh, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But here's the contrast in the best words in Scripture, at least some of them. I'll put them right at the top. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him. And it goes on. And we taught on that a few months ago. So we see a contrast today. Verse 17 and 19 in chapter 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Paul here is simply saying, do not live like an unbeliever. Do not live like a pagan. Do not walk as the Gentiles do. Do not live like a non-Christian. Paul is giving the church a very intense an important command or exhortation. And again, this is not a suggestion. And that's important to know. Paul's not saying, hey, I recommend that you do this. He's saying, no, I exhort you. I am telling you, do not live like a non-Christian. And really this fits, doesn't it, with our overall outline of Ephesians that we've been studying? Chapters 1, 2, and 3. We see everything, who we are in Christ, all that God has done for us. We see his grace poured out in our life. We see the work that he has done in us. He's adopted us. He's made us his children. Chapter 2, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We see everything God has done. And then chapters 4 through 6, this is how we live in response to what God has done. And I think it's important. Don't ever neglect chapters 1, 2, and 3. Always go back. Because if you go, if I was to come in today and never gave you grace, never showed you what Jesus has done for us, the love of God, his adoption of us, and I just said, don't live like a non-Christian. How would you do? Horribly. Because grace and the power of the Holy Spirit empowers us to be changed and to be different. God's grace comes first. So we do not live like an unbeliever but that means we don't. We do not do this. He's not saying, you'll be happier if you do this. No, he is saying, I insist. And look what he says. He says, I insist in the Lord. Now this I say and I testify in the Lord. It's easy to jump over that little phrase right there, in the Lord. But what he's saying is, Jesus is saying this. This is what I'm telling you. Paul is calling on the authority of Jesus Christ. He's saying, Jesus says, do not live, do not walk like a non-Christian. And Paul is using the word Gentile, not in an ethnic sense here, but rather in a way that shows a person's behavior, how they live their lives. We live our lives godly or ungodly. 
There are no other options. We are obedient or we are disobedient. And Paul is saying, do not live your life like the pagans of Ephesus. Go back and Acts. Do some research and look what the church in Ephesus was up against. Witchcraft, immorality. Terrible sexual immorality was going on in Ephesus. It really, in a lot of ways, picture San Francisco back then. By the way, we like to pick on San Francisco. It's an easy target. Hollister is full of sin too. We need the gospel to go out and see lives changed. Paul is saying, don't live like a pagan who doesn't know God. Remember chapter 4, verse 1, where we were? Right when we started off and we made the transition into our second part of Ephesians? Walk or live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So in verses 17, in these verses, 17 through 19, Paul is telling us to no longer walk or live like a pagan. And you know what this means. Paul uses the word no longer. You know what that means? It means you once did. You once lived improperly. And that's not even the word. That's too weak. You once lived a futile life. No longer live this way. But never forget that you once did. But God was rich in mercy. Paul's reminding us of God's grace. And let's look at the futile life of an unbeliever. It's sad. It's horrific. It should empower us. It should motivate us to evangelism. It should motivate us and move us to worship. Because this is who we were, but not who we are anymore. But let's look at this life. This life that we're no longer to live like. By the way, this is where you are in today. If you are without a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have not put your trust in him as your Lord and Savior, this is where you are. And I would pray that the Holy Spirit would do a work in your heart today and that you would hear God's word on this. If you do not have Jesus Christ, your life right now is futile and empty and meaningless. The life of the unbeliever is bleak. It's not good. See, without Jesus Christ, you once lived, or you are presently living, in the futility of your mind. We once lived in the futility of our minds. Futility. What a word. If you think about it. We use it, and sometimes we use it kind of, you know, oh, that was futile. But think about living in the futility of your mind. Futility means this, pointless, incapable of producing any useful result. Living in the futility of your mind is a life that is lived of continuous, pointless actions, which will produce continuous, pointless, or meaningless results. I'm going to say that again. Living in the futility of your mind is a life of continuous, pointless actions which will produce continuous, pointless, or meaningless results. Futility. I was trying to think of an illustration. And remember, I'm primarily a youth pastor. And this is how my scary mind works. And, and yes, I'm almost 48. But I grew up in the era of video games. 
All right, I know we love to bash on like the millennial who plays, you know, their Xbox, you know, 24 seven or whatever. And, and there's some things they should probably get a job. I'll, I'll admit that. That would be good. All right, but I, uh, I, I still like that. And Katie and I play games on there. Well, I like Angry Birds on my iPad. You know, I'm, I confess. And you pull the bird back, right? And, well, those of you who know my personality, I am obsessed with competition. I'm highly competitive. Um, the Lord is still refining me in that area, which I'm, I'm thankful for. But I'm obsessed with getting three stars before I move on to a level. I won't move on until three stars are done. It's just, I have to have three stars. And what happens is I pull the dumb bird back and then go and I do it. And you know what happens? I do the same move every single time and I expect a different result. And and I hit reset. The minute it doesn't work, I already know I'm not going to get three stars. Reset. 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 And I start to catch myself, and I'm like, you have troubles. You need help. <laughs> and this is what I say to myself, and it's right. And I keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. It becomes futile. And then finally, I get smart, and I go, you know what? I'm going to try going, and I change the direction. And then I either get three stars or I quit. <laughs> yeah, it's a silly example, isn't it? Doing the same thing over and over again, but yet transfer this to the ungodly. Think of this. Transfer this to those who are unsaved. They're living a life that is seeking fulfillment. They're seeking love. People are seeking significance. They're seeking joy. They're seeking pleasure. They're seeking contentment. And as those who are without Christ, as they do this, they're living a life of futile, futile actions and futile results. Listen, if you're living a life without Jesus Christ, you are living a meaningless, futile life, so run to the grace of God. It is in the cross we have life. It is in Jesus we have life, and we have life more abundantly. We find our joy, we find contentment, we find peace, we find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But we know how the world lives. How was, you go to work on Monday. How was your weekend? Oh, it was great. I partied all weekend and I watched the football game or the baseball game and I got drunk and it was great. What are you going to do next week? Same thing, but it's going to be better. Why is it going to be better? I have a little more money to buy a higher quality alcohol this time. That's what we hear. Tragic. What do we say? What should we be saying? I was at church. I want to tell you what I heard. And you know what? They're living the life of a pagan. Please don't go right there and say, well, you know what? Don't live that way. Is that true? Absolutely. But give them Jesus first. Say, you know what? And you could say this for many of you. I used to live this way. But Jesus changed my life. And my weekend was awesome because I was reminded of God's grace and mercy. It's sad. 
It's even more sad, though, when a Christian is slow to not tell them of the mercy of God. Listen, if you are living a life without Christ, run to God's grace and find joy in God through Jesus Christ. Paul adds to this bleak discussion in this description. The futile walk and the futile life is also described this way. Living in the futility of the mind, they are also darkened in their understanding. Darkened in understanding without Christ, we have no light. In our sins, we don't think correctly. One author said this, sin produces a malfunction of the mind. Sin produces a malfunction of the mind. By the way, there are brilliant people who will get us to the moon, give us telescopes that could reach to the far outsides of space that can bring cures for disease. That's God's common grace. And in the worldly sense, they are brilliant. They do math better than I do. That's not too tough. They may be brilliant authors, brilliant musicians, have many worldly gifted gifts that they have. But without Christ, God's word still says this, they're darkened in understanding. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says this, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The godless life is one that is lived in the futility of the mind, and then we also see the heart of those still dead in their sins. It says, unbelievers are excluded or alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They're cut off from true spiritual life and hard-hearted with the result of becoming callous, is what our text says. Any of you ever develop a callus? So when I first learned guitar, I would grab it and I would play. And within about five minutes, my left hand fingertips were on fire. In fact, it's the number one reason people quit guitar. Everyone says, I'm going to play guitar, I'm going to get a guitar, and they go buy a guitar and then it collects dust in the corner. You want to know why? Their fingers hurt. But if you push through and you play with a little bit of pain, pretty soon your fingertips start to look a little gnarly. And they have deep crevices, like on my pinky right here. Do you know when I play now, I don't feel a thing. It doesn't hurt. Because they're calloused. For guitar, Darren would probably agree that's a good thing. Otherwise, we'd be up here and sweat would be pouring off even more than it does. We'd be in pain trying to sing praise to God. What happens to the heart that continually sins? It becomes hard. It becomes calloused. And then in what? The callous heart gives yourself or gives themselves up to sensuality. Greedy 
the scriptures say, to practice every kind of impurity. You see, sin produces a dead, hardened, and callous heart. And then this harder life is marked by greediness to sin. A greediness towards sin. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You ever seen someone's heart grow hard and callous? Sadly, I think sometimes my heart still does. It's something that we fight in the flesh, don't we? Do you have sins that used to grieve you that now you do very, very easily? That's a callous heart. What used to convict, you push aside. You grieve the spirit, you quench the spirit on that. You allow sin to take hold and you become callous and you no longer feel the pain. You no longer feel the pain of the sin. You no longer see the sin the way God sees the sin. Imagine a life without Christ. This is what we see. A greediness to practice every kind of impurity. And so without Christ, a person will have a life that will become marked by promiscuous sensuality and every kind of impurity, and it's an endless desire for more and more. This is a heart and a life that lacks moral restraint. They're obsessed with all types of sin because callousness and hardness is set in. So you see sexual sin, violence, greed, envy, strife, slander, and the like. Romans 1. Let's, let's turn there. It's not fun to see, but we need to know where we were. We need to know where the world is. And it also magnifies the grace of God in our lives. When we see what we were saved from. For the wrath of God. See, God is serious about this. Is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They push it away. They push it down. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became what? Futile. Futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Sound familiar? Exact wording of our text. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Do you know what a heart, hard heart of sin does? It leads you to idolatry. And because of that, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. 
For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. Do you see how sin produces a mind that is not functioning correctly? This is what the scriptures say. The rule would hate hearing that and they hate hearing that. But this is what the scriptures say, and so we proclaim it. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Paul is writing this, what, about 2,000 years ago? Sounds like today, doesn't it? You know why? Because man, since Adam, is born in sin. And we need a savior. And God is rich in mercy, but don't live this way. You see, left to ourselves, we are a complete mess. We're dead in our sins. We are vile. Left to ourselves, without the grace of God coming into our lives, we are vile. And without Jesus, we are corrupt. We're idolatrous, and idolatry leads to immorality. Everyone has a desperate need for Jesus Christ. Yes, I'll agree with you. Some look better than others, don't they? Not everyone's in prison. But the reality is still the same. Without Jesus Christ, you are dead in your sins and in desperate need of salvation. You need a Savior. And we all need the work, the transforming work of Jesus Christ. He makes us new. So Paul is clear. Don't live like an unbeliever. Don't have a futile life. Don't have a life that is darkened in understanding. Don't live this way. And in verse 20, here it is again. One of my most favorite words in the scriptures. What is it? But. The contrast. This is not the life of a believer. This is not the life of God's people. He just told us, don't live this way. Don't live like an unbeliever. Don't be as those who are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And he says this, but that is not the way you learned Christ. It's as if Paul is saying this, remember your education. Remember what you learned. Live like a new creation. Remember, you've been changed. Remember, you've been transformed. Verses 20 through 21. Let's read this. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So Paul is asking. 
And he's using some unique language, some unique Paul language. And it's awesome. You know what Paul is saying? You learn Christ, all of him, not just his teachings. He's using relational language. He's saying when we are saved, we, are be, we become joined with Christ. We not just learn about the teachings of Jesus. You begin an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have Jesus. Think of Buddhism. I have never heard a Buddhist say, I have a relationship with Buddha. Buddha is my savior. What do they know? The teachings of Buddha, which are false. We say, I know Jesus. I have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen. Jesus lives within me. You see the difference? It's amazing. Isn't that awesome? I mean, can't we, if we can't get excited about this, close the doors. Jesus is alive and we know him. We learned Christ. Verse 21, do you know Jesus? He's asking this. He's assuming, he says, assuming you've heard this. Paul asks, do you know him? Have you? Do you have Jesus? Can I look at you today and say, not are you a Christian? Not do you believe things about Christianity? I would say, do you have Jesus today? Answer that question in your heart. Do you have Jesus? See, without Jesus, you cannot live the new life in Christ. We are converted to Jesus Christ and we are changed. We must know Jesus. Christianity is not rule keeping. It's not attending church. It's not knowing facts. It's not doing good things. Christianity is this, knowing Jesus Christ. Jesus told us this. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent. You prayed that in John 17. Jesus Christ. We know Jesus. So Paul is saying, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus. You see, for the child of God, Jesus is everything. I want to show you something else. Does anyone have a New American Standard version out, out here today? I'm sure some of you do. What does the verse say in the New American Standard? It says this. In our verse, I'll read mine first, DSV, which I really do like. Obviously, I preach out of it. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. New American Standard. Assuming that you have heard him. It leaves out the preposition about Have you heard Jesus? He proclaims himself boldly and loudly in the scriptures. He reveals himself. He is real. He is alive. And we have a relationship with him. Literally, this passage is saying, you heard him. You heard Jesus. 
He's alive. And when you hear the gospel preached, and when you preach the gospel, you are putting people in touch with a living person, our living God, Jesus Christ. It's amazing. This is why we preach and teach Jesus Christ and Christ alone. We have nothing else to offer, but we have everything to offer. Jesus. We preach Jesus. That's why we teach him. You were taught in him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is why we strive to be faithful to the word of God, because the word of God reveals Jesus Christ. Our passage says this, the truth is in Jesus. And I want to point out another thing. While we're looking up other thoughts on this passage, when I was studying, I saw this. Throughout Ephesians, Paul refers to Jesus Christ as Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, Lord Jesus, or the Messiah, Jesus. In verse 21, at the end of this, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Everywhere else in Ephesians, he says, Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus Messiah. He says, Lord Jesus. Here he just says, Jesus I don't think that this is an accident or an omission. Again, Paul here is proclaiming the relationship we have. We know Jesus, who is alive. Jesus, who lived, who died, who rose from the dead in human history. Paul is saying, find Jesus and you find truth. And you will find life. It's all about Jesus. Well, I knew this would happen. I want to get to the part where Jesus teaches us. What did Jesus teach? So you'll have to come back next week. Because it's just way too good. Way too good to give it five minutes. But I'll give you a hint. Jesus teaches us this. To put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. We are told to put off the old and in its place we are to put on the new, created after the likeness of God in, righteous, in true righteousness and holiness. It's a heavy thing to bring God's word. This passage is awesome. I trust and pray that you'll spend time this week looking at it more. But it is simple. But without Christ, without salvation, it's impossible. But because we are new creatures and the old has passed away, when Paul says this, we do this by the grace of God. And this is what we say. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk like a non-Christian in the futility of your mind. Do not be darkened in your understanding or alienated, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But we have Jesus, don't we? So we don't live that way. Because all things have become new. Amen? Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, if we were to come in today and just say, do better, quit sinning, stop living like a pagan, try harder, do it yourself, we'd be in trouble. But Father, you made us alive. You saved us and you've changed us. You've made us new. We now walk in newness of life. Father, because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, because of the salvation that you have given us, we are now new creatures. Father, as we continue on in the weeks to come, Father, may we see this. Father, may we be reminded when temptation comes, that that's not us. That's the old way of life that we're now new in Christ. And so, Father, may we be a people who are identified as Christians, followers of Christ, salt and light to a world that desperately needs to know you and to see you and needs your salvation desperately. So, Father, may we be different, not by our own strength, but by your power working within us. Father, as a church, may we be faithful to proclaim Christ and all he has done. That is our hope. It's Christ alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.